I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Reel Down. Back at you again on another... Oh, Lord, this will be a Wednesday when everybody gets to listen to this. I'm your host, Jimmy Skinner. With me, as always, Dan Perry. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? Not too much, man. Anything new with you? Get out and do any fishing? No, not that. I've got a... I'm traveling for KFL events the next two weekends. So, this weekend's Thursday. I go to North Heiko, North Carolina, Little Lake, and then next week after that, it's Okeechobee. So, that hung out Hung out with the family this weekend. How about you? I mean, I you did good in a in the Mulberry big tournament this weekend. Yeah, I don't know about big tournament, but I did all right. I got third place, uh, cool place. I, I had a buddy talk me into going with him because, and I see why because there's no way he would have wanted to do that access by himself. But I'm glad he talked me into it. It was really fun. We call Alabama bass all day on top water, both of us. Got to see a cool new stretch of Alabama that I haven't explored yet. And I'll definitely want to go back to it because we didn't have, uh, I mean, the weather was, it was all right. You know, it was overcast, wasn't too bad, too hot until the end of the day, but the water is still really, really low. So the bottom of my poor boat just took a beating all day. Mm. I thought I busted a scupper hole because when we loaded it up on top of my truck, there was water leaking out of it, but it was running down from the floor. So still holding out but yeah well that's cool i didn't know he's going to okeechobee dude i'm jealous yeah i'm close to it twice (laughs) yeah i I went there once whenever i fished college for a bass event and we did my partner actually caught a nine three so i netted a nine three uh, and wasn't even big fish of the day if you can believe it but um yeah it's it's it can be pretty ridiculous down there if you find them they uh a lot of dead water but if if you get on them then you know, you can get on them pretty good. You driving down or are you going to fly down and borrow a boat? Driving. Yeah. It's like eight and a half. 
Heiko's so are closer than I am. So yeah, Heiko, Heiko, North Carolina, because it's right by the border of Virginia. It's the same. It's like eight and a half. So well, good luck, dude. Hope you uh, hope you catch a donkey on Okeechobee. I hope you do good in both of them, but I really hope you do good on Okeechobee because it's like the land of big fish down there. So yeah, well, I've talked talked to one of our guys here. He's I know they're traveling this weekend too, but we're undefeated and trying to keep that up. So so we'll see what happens. Heck yeah. Well, speaking of those guys, we've got the uh, got a couple of the, the hammers from up the Virginia way that uh, just a couple of weeks ago kicked a whole bunch of ass at the Hobie Susquehanna event. So uh, let's get them in here. We got uh, Ewing and Nolan Miner. What's going on, guys? What's up, guys? Hey, go on. Thank y'all for being on. No problem. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, I, well, uh, we'll let everybody tell tell everybody who you are. Nolan, we'll start with you, man. Since you haven't been on before. Yeah, my name's Nolan Miner. I am the older brother of Ewing, who most of the kayak people are probably familiar with by now. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm living in Central Virginia at the moment, and I got a YouTube channel that I would much appreciate if everybody checks out. And besides yeah. that, I'm I, I want to talk about that because yeah. your your channel, your video, the one from Susquehanna is pretty ridiculous, man. Yeah, I caught a lot of fish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, besides that, I don't know. I'm uh, fishing for anything with a tail, and I uh, have a remote job doing some social media for pure fishing. So that is why I'm able to do all the crazy fishing stuff that I do. People That's a sick. lot of times think that I don't have a job, but I do. Oh no, he's working for a pretty large scale deal, man. That's awesome. Yeah. You got like the dream job that we all want. Like I would love to have something remote. I would take almost any remote job in the fishing industry for just about anybody. If it would just keep the lights on at my place while I wasn't there. It's pretty I don't, cool. I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't need too much. Well, Ewing, uh, so you, you and Bailey are kind of, yeah, yeah. You and Bailey kind of do the same thing then, huh? Yeah. We're, we're kind of coworkers. We don't, you don't, we don't really work together across paths, but we're definitely working for the same people. Oh, that's gotcha. Ewing, how about you, man? Uh, well, I'm Ewing Minor. I go to Carson Newman University in East Tennessee, and I fish mainly Hobies right now. Uh, it's just really enjoy the events. Don't have YouTube yet, but I'm working on getting equipment. Once I get the right equipment, I'll start putting out some some content and see what what happens from there. Well, uh, whenever you do, I'll definitely subscribe. And how's uh how's the college fishing going? Uh, it's it's going. I mean, it's not as good as kayak fishing, but <laughs> got I've been fishing more kayak tournament tournaments lately. That's been what's going well for me. So keep doing that for the most part. You know, got to throw some college tournaments in there though. But college kayak fishing's just now starting up. I'd like to see that grow. That's We've had two events so far, and they're Hobie, Hobie events run by, still by AJ. Great events, same exact thing that we're used to experiencing uh, on the larger scale. But currently we're, you know, like 10 to 15 people at each event, and we'd really like more people to join in. Got lots of nice prizes and good things for the schools. Man, I, I definitely I, think it's yeah. going to take off. Sorry they mean, cut no, you off, Dan. No, you're, you're good. Yeah, having fished college myself, I mean, I was poor whenever I went back to school with the GI Bill. So, I mean, it, man, college, just 
kayak fishing for a for a college angler seems like such a good fit. Yeah, and our our team actually we just got three Hobie Outbacks from the dugout for you know team owned. I took one of them up to the Susquehanna. They love those little things. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's that's cool. Because I that, whenever I fished, there was a few teams that had boats like Dallas Baptist and I think Clemson. That they couldn't drive it for worth a shit, but they they had their own boat, you know, their team boat. But most people <laughs> didn't. But I, but I I could see most schools having team kayaks. You know that. Yeah, that it's. Sense. I mean, it's much more affordable. Not as big of a liability to have a kid riding around with a kayak in the bed of their truck is if they were towing around a $60,000, boat. Oh, yeah. On the low end. Yeah, that's what you say. That's like an entry-level boat nowadays. <laughs> well, uh, let's get into the, the Susky, man. We, we've had some precursor shows going on. We had some of the locals talk it up. They had a few tournaments going on before Hobie got there, so we kind of got the lay of the land before... Uh, the big Hobie event happened down there. So we know the water was low, you know, the fishing had the, you know, the chance of being tough for a lot of people, which I do think it was because we did see so many of the, the names that we thought we would see, you know, do, do really good as per usual down there, kind of, you know, fumble and struggle around. But, uh, but Nolan, tell us, uh, give us just a little bit of a rundown, what, you know, not of the tournament itself yet, but just kind of the, situation when you got there the lay of it you know super low stuff like that yeah we knew it was going to be pretty low going into it just because i guess they were working on that dam um at the top end so they hadn't been letting much water through but also on top of that we there had just been no rain so the water was historically low for this one i knew that was probably going to play into ewing and i's favor uh, just because we're familiar with fishing that type of situation because usually in Virginia in the summertime, that's how it is the whole summer. And I was hoping, because like you said, a lot of people struggled. I was hoping it was going to be low because it, you know, makes it tougher. It, the fish are harder to catch. Um, so it's a lot harder for, you know, generally speaking, you're not going to have as much, as many fish caught, you know, across the field because at that place there's a lot of nice fish and so if the fish yeah. is really good it can put you in a really tough spot to try to set yourself apart is that so i mean the water just makes whenever it's low like that it makes it difficult to access it limits the amount of baits that you can throw for sure because it's only a lot of places a foot or two of water right so like a, how many like how many rods did y'all bring is it just like well i can only throw a few things so yeah, I mean, I I had probably seven or eight with me, but I was okay. fishing in a, a Hobie PA-12, and so I had like six of them, you know, shoved up in the uh, rod holders, knowing that I had them with me, but I probably wasn't even going to pick them up all day. Yeah. yeah. I had... Was He probably had less than me. He doesn't like many rods. I had four rods both days, I believe ended up being uh, five rods on day one because I found Bailey's rod. But got that back. <laughs> uh, you could have held a ransom. Oh, it could have been a big one too. It was a rod that when you found it, I was like, man, that's somebody that works with me. That's not something that just, uh, like a just ba- has casually. Fantista, is, is that what they're called? <laughs> more than that. It's more expensive than that. A rod, um, rod that was not is not out yet. 
So I was like, well, oh, he definitely okay. has to be somebody pure fishing in a Xenon. It's like a $1,000 combo he found in the river. It made it a whole lot easier than posting something in the BOS group and hoping I'd find the owner. Just There was two or three people it could have been, so I was able to track it down pretty Hey, quickly. dude, props to you for not – I'm a gear junkie. I'd have been like, well, you know, what is it? Uh, gear afloat is, or gear adrift is a gift. That's the way I would have mine it. If I see a thousand dollar combo rolling around, <clears throat> wow. well, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty light setups. Did you take, you took a few rods. Did you take like very little gear other than that? Like you knew you just needed like one box of baits, maybe a couple bags of plastics, or did you still keep your options open for changing situation? I, I had few baits, but I actually had lots of bags of plastics because I knew that I had the potential to go through a lot of baits didn't end up happening but i was catching some on a four inch wacky rig in practice so i just had like gobs of four inch stick <laughs> because you know a lot of the times you're only going to catch one fish on one depending on how it's hooked and if it jumps so, but yeah tackle was simple i did have a lot of extras because you don't really know going into that day if that one bait is going to be the ticket but with as many fish as i was around i knew i needed to probably have a lot of whatever i was going to be catching them with yeah, I just trying to keep down on weight too, so instead of having to drag so much. Yeah, I just had my. Honestly, it's about typical for what I bring. It's, it's a bag that's about as wide as is the tank well on either Outback or or Pro Angler. They're about the same size, but just about that width and three three boxes. That's what I take to every tournament. As far as on the boat, I'll have more tackle in the car, but just get everything I could think I could possibly throw and throw it in there. Yeah. I was, I was light on the setup since I was fishing out of an outback and I can't stand rods sticking straight up in the air. Yeah. So I had them strapped in the back and you know, if I had to throw something that I wasn't expecting, I at least had it with me. might've not had the perfect rod, but I could make do. Do you actually yeah. strap them, strap them in the back? You strap them down? Yeah, uh, the Outbacks, they have like a rail system with some bungees on it, and there's Mm -hmm. two straps on each side right along the side of the kayak. I laid it with the butts of my rod next to the seat facing backwards and had both those straps going over. And honestly, if I put rod socks on, I could probably do, you know, six or seven rods that way. That's pretty cool. I've always wondered, like, I've, I'm familiar with that bungee system and I've always like, I know you can stretch it over in the front ones. You can like put in your Plano boxes and mm-hmm. stretch them over. I'd never really thought about what to do with the back ones, but that's, that's a really good idea. Hopefully yeah. everybody uh, picks up on that. Really well, nice uh, fishing rivers when there's overhanging trees, have everything laying down. I'm sure y'all know that, but Oh yeah. Big ticket. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get a little bit into the pre-fishing side of it, you know, and how you y'all figured out the bite that y'all were going to follow and chase after for the tournament and, uh, you know, explain without like, I mean, giving up any areas or any like big secrets you may want to keep for next year. Just some people by now have been watching some of the YouTube's yours and Christine's and seen the kind of areas that everybody was fishing, whether it be like, like in Christine's video, it was like crystal clear, shallow, long, big flat water. Uh, just, give a kind of a layout of what you were kind of targeting or fishing around and Nolan, you can start. Yeah. I was just looking 
for an area that these fish would be able to retreat to. Uh, I hadn't actually seen, or I'd seen the river, but only driving over it beforehand. So Wednesday when I got there for practice, that was my first day I'd ever actually, you know, gotten on the river. I had looked on a map to find some areas that were probably holding a little more water than the rest of the river. And I found a lot of fish the first day and it was, you know, an area that had less riffles. That's what I wanted just because I knew that, you know, Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Oh, everybody, when they go to the river, they're looking for you know, the typical smallmouth stuff, ledges that have, you know, rapids and current seams and all kinds of stuff like that. A lot of target to throw at. I knew that if I needed to fish that stuff, I know how to do it. So I was going to spend my practice trying to do something else first. And if that's what I end up falling back to, so be it. But yeah, I picked an area that looked like it had some slower, deeper water. And I knew that's what those bug fish that we talked about um, would be living in. And my first day, I pretty much, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but I went there, confirmed that, wow, there's a bunch of big fish here and they're doing what I thought they were going to be doing, which again, it never happens. Um, <laughs> but I went there and I was like, well, dang, uh, I'm going to have to find something really, really good if I don't come back here during the tournament. So the rest of my time, I just, I kind of explored, um, branched out a little bit into other regions of the river and I caught nice fish everywhere, but I didn't find anything that I felt could compete with what I had found the first day. And you said you found slower deep water <clears throat> and deep deep relative. relative to exactly. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Like what, what was deep for what you were fishing? If you found three or four feet, you were deep. in business. Yeah. And that, you know, there's places a along the whole entire river that have that, but I was looking for places that had a lot of that. That yeah. was all, you know, contiguous, not like some little three or four foot pocket, the size of a house, because that can only hold so many fish and they're going to, you know, be getting beat on in practice. So those right. fish won't, they're not migrating when the water's that low where they are. That's, that's where they're living. They they're stuck. Yeah, and that, 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 this isn't something 
like really anything you can map study, like you have to put eyes on it to figure it out. Right. Yeah. You can kind of look at the, and I think Ewing said he was using different um, satellite images like from different websites or different years to be able to get a better idea. I was just going off whatever I had on my phone and you could kind of get a general idea, but sometimes you would, actually get to a spot you had looked at and you'd be like well dang this is not what i expected from looking at the satellite image so you definitely had to do some exploring in addition to just looking at the map yeah hmm. well uh you and i what were you in in your pre-fishing what were you looking for kind of the similar thing yeah. in a separate yeah, area was... or did y'all fish together at all or well i was originally looking at some some stuff on the map found a few areas to check out and I went and checked some of them, and I was like, oh, I'll check the one that I was hoping hoping would have fish look the best. I didn't check it the first day, and I was like, oh, I told Nolan. We always talk to each other, make sure we're not practicing the same rants. But I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go up here. He said, oh, that's where I found my fish. But he said there's an area that looks similar you know, down this way. So I went there, practiced it. I found... I got two, one 19-inch bite and then an 18-inch bite, and that was just in one small stretch, and that's where I started. And I use, I use Google Maps, Apple Maps, and Google Earth on my phone. Whenever I go to a tournament, I'll look at all three because you'll have different water clarities, different water levels, all sorts of stuff. And Google Earth had the lowest water, so I was able to look and find those deeper holes because on that stretch there were they weren't as prominent and there weren't as many as where nolan was fishing but i was able to find three stretches that had fish didn't find those till this the second two until the, the day of the tournament because i decided to do a float since i didn't have a whole lot to go off of did you float with somebody else or did he drop you off uh, I floated down to where my dad was putting in in single access. So, gotcha. Yeah, it was, I think it was, he was on the top, like in reference to, to where I was. He was above me. My dad was below me. And I was just right in the middle. So. Wow. Locking down an area. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's a, the Google Earth thing is a trick. I don't feel like a lot of people. I mean, I know a lot of a, a lot of people do use it, but like a lot of people I know really stick to like the Google Maps and Apple Maps, which are still great tools because you can you can learn a lot. But like Nolan was saying, I've had it happen a lot of times where something looks exactly what you're looking for and then you get there and it's just nothing. But Google Earth, man, being able to dial back to a drought year, you can real especially like in the summer like this where you're looking for that, you know, these traditionally deeper areas that are like right in the middle of somewhere that's just mostly shallow. It, that's a killer tool to use. If, if you haven't already for anybody listening or watching this on YouTube or anything, play around with Google earth because it'll definitely show you some stuff that a lot of people are probably overlooking. Yeah. We use it a lot <laughs> in East Tennessee here because the, the lakes in the winter time, they come down 40 to 60 feet. So if you look around on and you find the right date, you can see exactly what you're wanting to fish at least like when the water's up higher find some stuff that would take you days and days of graphing to find and so it's not just something for rivers 
Oh yeah, definitely. I live right off the Tennessee river myself here in North Alabama. And it's a, it's a really fun tool. Cause I mean, I know, you know, you get an fish in Tennessee, you're probably familiar with it too. A lot of, you know, spring fed waters are key. And one of the Google earth is one of the best ways to find those is they stand out like a sore thumb on, I'm not going to give too much detail on that. Cause I don't need any more competition around here, but you can find them on Google earth pretty easy. But uh, yeah, so let's get into uh, day one of the tournament. Uh, we got the numbers pulled up, and uh, I say that I did not have the numbers pulled up, but I got the numbers pulled up now. So uh, Nolan, you had an excellent first day with ninety-five and a half, and Ewing, you were uh, down in third with ninety-two and a half. So uh, whichever one of y'all wants to start, lead us into your day one, and you know what you have going for you and how you was catching them. Yeah, um, that morning, I mean, my game plan was honestly, I thought I was going to be sight fishing uh, with that little evergreen bug that everybody knows about now because I've put it everywhere. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, so I really didn't know what I was going to do with my first two hours. But on the last day of practice, my dad and I went and fished just a completely random area, more or less to get him familiar with the river because he was working during the week when we were playing and fishing. Um, so he only got to practice on Friday. I was like, well, you know, I don't really think this is where you should go for the tournament, but let's just go, let's just go fish just to, you know, get acquainted with what the river's doing right now. And he caught some fish on um, a Whopper Plopper 75, just a small one. I'd been throwing one and I'd been catching some fish, but he caught three really good ones. And the way that, I don't know, the way the river was set up where we went that day, it was kind of similar to some stuff that was near what my best water, what I thought was going to be my best water. So I was like, well, my first two hours, I was planning on probably just, you know, throwing a top water like everybody else for the first two hours of my day, just because you can't not do that when the water's low on the Tuscaloosa. Like it's just <laughs> wasting your time if you don't do that. Cause the odds of getting one or two big bites is very good. If you, you know, put enough time in doing it that way. So I was like, well, I'm just going to start near my stuff and kind of work my way up the river. To, and then by the time the sun gets up enough to where I can do what I want to do, that, you know, I'll be, I'll be in my area by then. Well, uh, my area that was like, I guess, secondary kind of on a hunch area ended up being way better than I realized. There were a lot more fish there than I thought. So I had 93 inches at 730. And I'm like, well, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's not very often you get that to happen. Um, but like I said, I, I knew there were a lot of fish in my area. There were just, you know, there's those rare occasions where there's actually more there than you realized. I had backed off of it in practice, you know, because I knew that I was going to be there anyway. There was no reason for me to harass those fish. And thankfully I didn't because uh, going back, you know, you kind of, I was telling my dad, you you really approach it with a fresh mind. Um, if, if you have a stretch where, like say in practice, I fished through this stretch and I found like three key little riffles or key little little boulders that i'm anticipating getting bites off of and then on tournament day i show up and i run that perfect cast by that boulder and i don't get bit in my mind i'm like dang like something's different but if i haven't even messed with it i just know i'm in a good area every single new boulder i see to me it's all new and so like if i catch a big one i'm like oh heck yeah and if i don't catch one on a boulder i'm like oh you know it wasn't a good well, the right boulder. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I really do think that helped me a lot um, when I did that because I was fishing really thorough and calm. I didn't have a preconceived notion of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to catch them right no now. No sense of urgency. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was just 
you know, kind of tooling around, catching way more fish than I probably should have been. Um, but it was just, it was phenomenal. And then so that, uh, I was going to say that probably answers my, my, my follow-up question was well, after you got 93 so quick, I mean, you obviously you, you kept fishing cause you did call up a couple of times, but yeah. did you lay off of them and just like periodically hit it and just kind of check around or did you just so keep going? The stretch that I fished that I caught them all, at first is about a quarter mile and i pretty much just fished my way up river kind of zigzagging back and forth but for the most part i found that like there was a certain depth i needed to be at which was somewhere close to my knees like below <laughs> not above it was very shallow but i found if i went further towards the channel and got up above my knees i wasn't getting bit and you know if i went shallower i wasn't getting bit so i tried to stay in this happy medium of where i was catching fish and in addition to catching them you're seeing them wake on your bait and boil on it and miss it or or you're walking up and you'll see one dart off and push awake so you kind of get a feel for where where they're setting up on even if you don't catch them oh yeah okay he was right there well when i get up 50 yards that looks like where he was i need to be putting my bait there instead um so yeah i I fished my way up but i really only i only made one pass through it through this quarter mile stretch and i and i saw so many fish like sometimes i'd catch one and there'd be like two or three would be chasing him and i, I would just keep going because i'm like i'm doing really well i need more fish for tomorrow so i'm just gonna keep you know going through here and uh and fishing for fresh fish and so once i hit 93 then the sun was getting up and i kind of eased my way into my sight fishing areas and i was like man i you know i need to keep catching fish because of the type of fishery that place is you know 93 is good but it's not that good, um, especially with that many good fishermen out there. And so I, I literally, I picked up that sight fishing, that little bug, and I was like, I'm only going to throw if it's a really big one. And I just pretty much practiced. But if I'd see a great big one, I would fish for it. So I caught two 19s um, on that bug. And then I went to another area I had found, um, and I caught one 18 and three quarters on a, on a wacky rig sight fishing and you know I, I caught maybe three or four other fish that didn't help that you know i realized once i hooked them i probably shouldn't have thrown at that one but i let a lot of fish go you know just let them keep swimming because i knew that it was probably right around 18 which was a fish that i needed more the next day than you know than i needed to to catch the day of because once you get to that low 90s mid 90s on the susquehanna a quarter inch is huge as far yeah. as the leaderboard like because i knew if I get to 95 today, it's going to be so much harder for somebody to catch me tomorrow if they don't do exactly what I did today. Um, yeah. Out for me. But yeah, you can take over from here. I, I got about 20 questions in there. The, uh, first, how do you like I'm a plopper 75? That's my favorite size. Between those and the Chapo, how do you choose the different sizes? So, really, I wanted to be using either a a 75 chopper or 90 chopper part of that's because of who i work for obviously um but i do prefer the bait uh and a lot of people can attest to that i I don't know i i feel like they track better and they don't they don't spin as much but i think when you have the smaller sized ones some of them are just going to roll every now and then you get a good one you get a bad one uh but the main thing was that i needed a clear bait when i was using a solid colored bait they were not committing to it as well uh you were having a lot more of those short strikes you were getting short strikes anyway uh, because I think just the low water, those fish have all obviously seen the, that style bait tons and tons and tons of times, but it's just so good for them that they're going to keep biting it. Um, but yeah, I, I experimented heavily with different sizes uh, throughout practice. And for me, usually in a tournament scenario, I'm always throwing that big Chapo 120 because I'm trying to catch a big fish. I'm not trying to catch a small fish, but they definitely were not 
liking that big one. Um, and the bait that my dad threw on the last day of practice was literally like my dad just throws spinning rods. So I was like, well, we'll just put this one on here. And, and he was catching them. And I was experimenting with different baits alongside him. And he was catching big ones and I was not. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know. I didn't know what I was going to do the next morning for my topwater stuff. I know I'm going to have that one tied on. That's kind of how I narrowed that down. You know, it's, I fished a tournament this weekend that was like moving shallow, clear water. And it was kind of the same thing. I was throwing uh monkey butt, which is translucent red colored, uh, 75 whopper plopper. And then I was throwing a translucent, um, smaller chopo as well. And something about that, I, I can attest to the chopo is it definitely rolls less and it starts up faster because the, the blades, a harder material, I think probably just displaces the water better, but it, they're both killer baits, but it was the same thing. My buddy was throwing the bigger versions and I was getting the better bites for most of the day. Is it, It's just one of those things. It's not often that the smaller one works better. In my opinion, um, I don't throw it a ton, but yeah, rivers are definitely a situation. Smallmouth in the summertime are definitely a time when, when that can be. Yeah. Have you ever gotten on a cicada bite like that before? Cause I, I've seen that bait in the store before and I, I mean, I love evergreen stuff. They they sell a lot of great things, but I I'd never look at that bait and said, "Oh yeah, I'm, that, there's a time for that." It, honestly, it was my first time really exploiting that bite. Um, I have a buddy that guides on the New River in Virginia. He does raft trips for smallmouth from as soon as it gets barely warm enough in the late winter all the way through you know like there's there's pretty much not a month that they're not doing some sort of guiding on the new river so he's on the river all the time uh him and i fished together in high school fished competitively did some bass tournaments we did really well together so we're you know buddies talking all the time but i called him like a month before the susquehanna i was like hey man i just want to pick your brain on summertime smallmouth because like i catch a lot of summertime smallmouth but you're on the river every dang day so i want to talk to you and see you know what your two cents are and he's like well man low water in the summer i'll have all these spinning rod clients and we'll catch a bunch of fish 40 fish a day 50 fish a day easy uh but our biggest fish you know maybe we'll catch 118 out of those trips um and the new river has a different size structure than yeah. the Susquehanna for one but but then he'd say man but then i'll get one fly rod client uh you know at this part of the summer later in the summer and we'll fish a day and you know maybe he catches 12 fish but like four or five of them will be 18 to 20 plus inch fish and those size fish are not frequently caught on the new river in the summertime. Um, and he said, it's pretty much always that bug bite. Um, when they're eating cicadas, he said it didn't usually get good until you can hear the cicadas in the trees. That's usually what signifies the beginning of that bite, whether they are completely dialed in on cicadas or just when the cicadas are out, just all the bugs are out, you know, yeah. it, don't really know to the extent, you know, what, how much of it is actually them eating cicadas and being dialed in on cicadas specifically. But I was just going to fly fish when I found that out, you know, when he told me that, cause I, you know, I've messed around with a lot of river smallmouth in my time and I can fly fish. So I was like, well, I'll just, it'll be kind of cumbersome to have to take a fly rod in the kayak and try to keep it out of all my other crap. Cause y'all know how easy it is to tangle any rod yeah. fly rod would, you know, you can do it, but it was going to be a challenge. But then I saw this bait on fishing online it's where I get most of my fishing stuff from. And I was like, well, dang, I'm going to order a couple of those because I might be able to throw that on a spinning rod. And then I'm not having to worry about this fly rod. So I bought them. My dad and I went and fun fished somewhere near the house in Virginia uh, about a week before the tournament. And I found some really big fish in slow, clear water. And it worked really well. And I was like, yep, 
this is a good thing. Like I'm just going to, I need to go find this situation there. So that, that is how the whole bug situation came about. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like I, I'm, it's, it's like a, what Aaron Martin's back in the day on clear Lake or with the or, birds. Yeah. With the birds. Yeah. yeah that was a Havasu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's man. That's pretty awesome. That you, awesome. Ewing, did you get on anything crazy like that, or do you do you take an old school approach to it? We we <laughs> call them the exact same way, just different parts of the river. Uh, That's awesome. Day one, I started off, of course, where I caught that those two big fish. Um, I didn't actually fish the because I dropped waypoints on the bolt or the ledges that I caught them on. I don't think I even fished those at any time. I mean, I fished around it, but I caught those fish, one on a swim jig, one on a wacky rig during practice, and I never went and did that during the tournament. Um, I just got on something that I felt was better with that bug and then a choppo. Um, but I started my morning. I had to go down the river and then go back up the river to get to where I was going before people floated Um floated down and fished through it. I wanted to be the first one on those fish. And I also want to approach them from downriver. That's the way that the fish feed. But I went up through there and, you know, pretty early I had, I think, 90 and three quarter. I didn't post them up yet because usually I post everything as I'm going. But in this situation, there were a lot of people at my launch, a lot of people know knew where I went, so I wanted to at least hold off for a little while. Because when you catch them first thing in the morning, people know exactly where you caught them. Oh, but if yeah. I submit them up later in the day, they've got no clue how any of that happened. Um, yeah, where you moved or ended up, yeah. Yeah, and then I, you know, after I caught those fish, I was just, I wasn't sure if I wanted to try to call up or not but i was looking at the leaderboard and i was like no i should probably just go practice and from probably i don't know eight o'clock on is practice on day one and i found two different areas and cold in both places which how i got to the 92 and a half but i'd catch one or two fish figure out what's going on knew i had enough to you know be in contention for the next day if i had a really good day and I just didn't try to beat them up too bad because in the past I've had it bite me uh, just catching too many on day one. And I really didn't want to do that because I had no clue what I was on. And, you know, it turned out being being pretty good for me on day one. And I was able to improve a little bit on day two. You know, just that same thing I had. At the end of the day, I, you know, I had my limit early on the Chapo. End of the day, I think I had two on a Chapo, one on a wacky rig, and then two on that bug. So, Which is the exact same as what I had on the first day. I had two of them on a popper, one on a wacky rig, and two on the bug. Y'all both throw a four inch or a five inch on the wacky rig. I was throwing, I was throwing four there. It's very, very rare that I'll throw a four, but on smallmouth and especially in you know, yeah. water like that. I pretty much always throw in a five. I throw a five inch all the time. And like, if you're not throwing a five inch wacky rig, like you're just dumb. Like you just don't like catching fish. People hate I, on it. Like, I agree. You fish tournaments, you're just losing money if you don't yeah. throw a wacky rig or something. Like I try to explain it to people. If you're having a terrible day on a tournament, 
pick up a wacky rig and you'll probably at least catch a lemon make you feel a little better like it's just it works and then like you talk to drew gregory and drew gregory's like oh, i've never thrown one what like how how like i don't believe him i think he's lying but uh so i've got to know so with y'all being brothers is there like was it this more like team up and conquer this event or Ewing, were you like, okay, I'm practicing because tomorrow I'm going to lay the hammer down on Nolan and I'm going to take this? I mean, I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm going to work on getting myself in, in position to to jump you tomorrow. But, you know, <laughs> he, did it's, it, he did say that, but it's all, it's all good fun. Yeah, we, I mean, we've never really had any kind of, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline we're competitive with each other, but it's not to where you only care about, like, I don't only care about beating him. I want to do it. Of course. Uh, haven't done it in the kayak yet, but I mean, just working together is the best thing we can do. Bouncing ideas off of each other. Oh and, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it proved itself at this last event. So being able yeah. to do, same thing in, op- in different areas instead of trying to fish the same water uh he actually he was the one that said yeah you should probably just try to fig- find some other water because his words were i think i can win off of this if i have it to myself without other people doing this uh he said we could definitely both cut checks up here but i don't think either one of us would win so i went yeah that was that was pretty much because, you know, I, I was like, man, I know there's going to be other people in here with me, but it's not you. And like you and I know what these fish are doing right now. And if we both stay in this area, we will both do well. Like we probably would have both top 10 in my opinion, but probably wouldn't have won. Probably would have, you know, you can only cut the pie into so many pieces. Yeah, and splitting fish. And start, start getting too small. Um, uh, especially fishing exactly the same. Yeah. 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 So I don't think we've ever fished at the during a tournament i don't think we've launched together we've launched together during practice to break down an area that we think is going to be good but tournament day you know kind of divide and conquer so just you and keep going into your day two so you you finished up your day one you had a good limit and you went practicing you know did everything you know, did you practice and found go into your day two at all, or did you have to revert what, back to your day one? What, or? I, what I practiced on, on day two it, or on day one, really like that's what made my day two. Uh, I had, I caught 87 inches out of my primary area, which I would have cut a really solid check with that, but I wouldn't have been happy with how many quality bites I got. Things that I'm, I've never been so close to everything falling apart on day two of the tournament and bring it back together like I did because I had the most big fish blow up on my bait 
miss it, come off, pull split rings off. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, it started with a 14-incher breaking the tail on my only clear Chapo. I didn't have mm-hmm. any other clear one in the boat. So I was throwing the white. They were missing it. Yeah, like scraping the paint off. off. Mm-hmm. I finally switched it. Actually, I have it right here, the little black one. Um, yeah, I love that one. Black Chapo. You know, that's kind of the color that they were keyed into for what we thought. I don't know, with the gizmo, um, I ended up catching them on a different color because I broke off the black one. But I figured it's better than throwing something they're completely missing. They mean some of the most insane blowups you've ever seen, but they'd be behind it, beside it. They weren't trying to eat it. They were trying to kill it or something. Um, And I finally did. I put a few solid fish in the boat with that. And... Then I switched over to the bug, and I was just blind fishing. Uh, well, not blind fishing, but I wasn't looking at the fish, throwing at rocks, all sorts of stuff. And I was able to put a lot of quality fish in the boat doing that. Didn't catch any big ones. Then when I left my primary area, it was about 10 o'clock. I had 87 inches. We didn't think the sun was going to come out, which was key to to our site fishing bite and luckily after i i left it i was kind of fishing along trying to see what i could catch the sun came out and i just hightailed it all the way to the other area where i thought that those fish would set up for the bug and they really did i i stumbled across a bunch of fish had no clue how many were actually in that area after i practiced and I don't know how many times I called in an hour, but it ended up being, I think, a 18 and a, 18, a 19 and a quarter and a 20 out of about a 50-yard stretch. Which and all of that was on the bug? Yes. And it's just little deep, deep hole it's the last thing they had to go to. There was, it was completely surrounded by shallow water. I had to drag to get there. I had to drag to get out of there. Um, they didn't have anywhere to go. They were stuck there. And I was able to just kind of pedal around randomly. And when I'd see them, they'd, I'd throw at them. Some I'd get to bite. Some they'd just kind of swim off. But you could come back. And if you get a better cast, you might be able to get them to get fired up on it. Yeah, well, you, go ahead, Dan. Uh, I, I saw Nolan, your your braid on your top water. Are you the same way, Ewing? Yeah. yeah. I, the only time I'll throw mono on a top water is if I'm throwing a popper, you know, yeah. close to stuff. I just, I like having that stretch with, with a popper. And that's really the only thing because it's so close and it's treble hooks. But Aside from that, I've had very bad experiences involving long casts with mono. Yeah. yeah. I kind of learned all that the hard way myself, especially when it comes to shallow smallmouth. I just want braid. I want something that if they only get that one one hook off that treble, that I've at least got a sure lock on them with that braid. So I definitely no. feel that. Braid is a must with top waters. Yeah, I've always been like, <clears throat> pretty 
particular about trying to fine tune my setups to how I lose the least fish. Like I'm really, really crazy about that. Just trying to tweak any little thing. And I've always been kind of more in the school of thought on when you're using treble hooks, you want stuff that has a lot of give and you're just kind of leaning into them. But summertime, smallmouth in shallow water, forget about it. Your best chance is to really drive those hooks home when you do get a bite and that's your best shot at landing them because if you're you know i use i use different hooks i use ewg style hooks for summertime smallmouth shallow water smallmouth that i would never use in any other situation but it's just because i mean you know there's one place for them to go it's up and they're going to go up and they're going to like keep doing it the whole time so yep. might as well, if you're going to get that hook in there you want to really drive it home and braid is what does it another thing when you're fishing a top water if you use mono you do have to set the hook when they eat it um with braid you don't i mean maybe you set it a little bit there's times when you can lean into him but if he's being funky on the bait especially with a walking bait like with mono you're working it and he pulls it under and you think that he got it and you pull it and you missed him with braid you just keep working it and if he pulls it under and he's not hooked to it then you just keep fishing and the bait floats back up whereas if he gets it he's hooked. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to yeah. do anything. He's going to hook himself because of that braid, but with mono, you'll miss that fish every time. And that's, that's pretty much what got me started on braid was bites like that. Cause you know, small mouth are super goofy around top water baits. They'll slap it, miss it a bunch. And with braid, you don't have to worry as much about missing a hook set. They'll, they'll oh, kind of, they'll, small, small mouth. will have you wondering like what kind of physics they have to not yeah. catch that hook when they take it under. I upsize all of my hooks a size or two on my ploppers and my walking baits and they'll, they'll take it under and you'll just, that'll float right back up. And you're like, what did this freaking hook will catch everything in this kayak, my mm. net, everything. And he took it under and didn't get a hook, but going with braid. And like you said, with the small mouth and, and these Alabama spots, man, a little stiffer rod. A buddy of mine got me on that. I was like throwing a softer rod with braid so that I can, you know, lean, like you said. Uh, he was throwing his plopper on his frog rod, and I thought he was ridiculous until he, I missed like my first five bites and he didn't. And I, I swapped it up to the stiffer rod, and that, that was the difference for some reason. You know, the super aggressive fish. Well, uh, so you and you did, you had a great day two. You ended up with 93 and a quarter in the day two lead. Um, uh, you know, Nolan, tell us about your day too. Yeah, you had come down the leaderboard a little bit in 92 and a quarter, which was obviously ultimately still good enough. But tell us about uh, your day two and anything that went on during that. Yeah, so like, like Ewing said, day two was not forecasted to be sunny, and so we knew that that was going to be a big change. That's another reason that I really <laughs> stayed after them on day one because I knew that when I had the conditions to catch them because of the sun, that you know. If I see a great big one and catch them, there's a good chance that that's a fish that I wouldn't have even been able to come across on day two because the behavior of those fish changes on cloudy days. They don't even, you know, they don't do the same stuff looking for those bugs. The, um, the sun is what really triggers that to happen. So my hope was on day two was just to go through my top water stretch and, you know, bang low 90 inches right off the bat and then not be sweating it. Um, and I didn't really know what I was going to do after that. I was like, is, is the top water bite going to last all day? Because it really hadn't been. It, um, you could still catch some throughout the day on top, but pretty much it was a morning thing uh, throughout practice. And I was like, well, maybe with the clouds, I'll be able to catch them, you know, longer on the top water. I really didn't know what was going to happen on day two. And I worked through my first area. 
And I, you know, the, the same stretch that I caught 93 inches out of very quickly the day before. And at the same time, you know, maybe it's like 10 o'clock. The only fish that I have that's of the, the caliber you need on the Susquehanna is a 17 and three quarter. That's the only good one. Mm. I I think I had maybe lower mid eighties. I don't know. I'd caught some 16s, 16s and a half measuring them just out of matter of principle. Cause like, okay, if today goes to crap, I'm still going to get a check, you know, as long as I submit these decent sized fish. Um, and so I, I, there was one little key area is a spot about the size of a truck in that little uh, quarter mile stretch. And the day before I had caught, I think I only caught one nice one out of it, but it was a spot when like the plopper lands and like, they're just, the wakes are all coming from different directions. Like there were so many fish packed into this little spot and I still don't even know exactly why it was so good. Um, I think it was probably adjacent to something they were living on during the day. And so it was just the closest thing for them to pull up to, but for whatever reason, they really liked this little spot. And so I knew that, you know, they were probably going to be there on day two and I'd fished through it and I caught a 16 and a half on the top water on my first pass. And I was like, and I saw some other ones waking around when I hooked him and pulled him away, you know, and I, and I didn't get any more to bite right there. And I was like, man, I know there's big ones there. Um, but if they didn't bite this thing on that first pass, they're probably not going to bite it if I go back through again. And I, so I changed to a silent walking bait because that can be really good when the fish are being kind of skittish in shallow water. And I was catching, like, I caught a lot of fish on day two before I started catching nice ones. Um, I don't know if I caught 25. I mean, it was like, you know, about every third cast, I was pretty much catching a fish. But when they're 14 inches long and you're on the Susquehanna, you might as well not have caught a fish. Uh, <laughs> and so I was kind of freaking out. And I'm walking up to that, you know, I'm making my second pass through my area, kind of cycling through baits, trying to figure out what the heck to do. And right when I get up to this little area, I was talking about it's like the size of a truck. I see one's tail come out of the water and like, like a redfish does when he is mm-hmm. you know, picking yeah, tail. I assume probably he was eating a crawfish off the bottom, but I saw his tail come up and I could tell it was a nice fish just because when they're in, when they're in that shallow of water, if they do anything, they kind of move, make a little wake or a ripple or something. And you can kind of tell if you're used to looking at fish all the time, you can tell like, a small fish did not do that right there. Right. And I was close enough that I just kind of froze up when he did it. I couldn't believe, I mean, it was still a cast distance away, but this water's like this deep. It was surprising to me that that fish was still relaxed right there. So I like set my rod down and grabbed the bug. Cause I, I now have this fish pinpointed and I flick it right up there. And when it lands, he, I see his weight go over to it, twitch it one time. He eats it. I catch that one. It was a 17 and three quarter. And at this point it's still cloudy relatively early in the morning. The visibility is not great yet. And I'm like, all right, well, this means that I can do this. I can throw this bug without having to see them. So that was a, a huge discovery for me. I was, cause I knew that it was a better way to trick those big fish that are being shot. Right. I've literally just gone through this area, didn't get them. Now I come back, throw it in there, catch a big one. I'm like, okay, this is good. Like stuff's clicking. It's on. I measure him. I kind of back off to give the spot a second to rest while I'm measuring him and everything. Because on day two, when you're in the position I was, when you catch a fish that you think you're probably going to submit at the end of the day, you make sure you get every little quarter inch out of him and you take your time and make sure everything's good. But while I was doing that, I was giving my spot a chance to rest. I let him go, ease my way up back up there. And I can't remember if I saw another one eat a bug or if it was just I knew the spot. But I get up there and there's a there's kind of a when there's a rock sitting in shallow water with current flowing over it, they kind of make a bulge 
Um, and the fish were sitting on the front sides of those. So I take the bug and flip it right up in front of that bulge. And when it lands, I see a wake ease over to it, twitch it, eats it. That was 18 and a half. So now I'm like, all right, like we're back in business. You know, I was kind of sweating it cause I was not catching these fish, the size of fish that I needed, but then stuff starts clicking. And I don't remember if I told him after I caught the second one, but at some point I know that I called him. I'm like, Hey man, like they're eating the bug, you know, just in your, area, like, you know, you should, you should try to figure out what's going on with it, even though it's not sunny. And uh, so I ended up just working through the rest of my topwater stretch, just pitching that bug at every little current seam. I was really paying attention for any little ripples, any, you know, any fish sign of any sort, because if I saw something, I could, you know, walk over there, really ease over there and then pitch that bug out there. And I think I caught, I don't know. I think I made it up to like 90, 91 um, within that same stretch. I caught, I had all, uh, definitely had over 90. I had all, you know, 18 inch ish fish. Um, and then the sun pops out and I'm like, oh crap. Uh, so I, I keep working my way up into my sight fishing stretch. And gosh, when I got into my, you know, the good stuff, the deep, slow water, um, and the sun was out, I mean, I, it took me maybe like a minute and a half of entering this area once the sun's out and I'm seeing big ones and I, you know, pitch out there, he eats it, catch one. I'm like calling you and I'm like, Hey man, like, and he was catching them too at this point. We're just like freaking out. We're like, dude, the sun's out. Like they're eating. This is crazy. We're going to smash them. And that's pretty much what happened. We just, you know, catching a, catching an 18 plus inch fish it's hard to continue, you know, so we didn't keep upgrading constantly, but like the number of 17s I was catching, like 17, 17 and a half, like we were straight smoking them. Um, and I think I made one more good upgrade. It was a 19 that I caught and I didn't catch that one on the bug. I caught it on the four inch Senko. I think I threw the bug at him. He didn't eat it. So I pulled it away from him and I see him start easing off. And so I kind of wait, I like let him get far away because, you know, when they're close to you and you're sight fishing them, they, they don't have their guard let down, but as they ease away from you, sometimes they'll kind of relax a little bit. So I let him get away. I throw that sink away out in front of where he's going to. Um, and he eats it, uh, you know, cause pretty much when you're sight fishing them with anything that sinks, and it's that low and clear and they're that skittish you got to throw way out in front of him to where he doesn't see it land he doesn't see it sink he just swims up there and there it is that's that's the way you trick it's got to look very natural yeah and that yeah and so that that was the the last upgrade i made and then i just went and kept smashing more you know fish that didn't help um i felt like i still needed to do more though because ewing and i were watching and jake harshman was you know he was in a position where if he caught one really big one late, you know, he could have, he could have, um, I think he could have passed us up. I, I, I don't know. I was trying to do math, but also trying to do fishing uh, while I was out there, but it ended up, uh, ended up working out for us. And we, we took those top two spots. It was, it was pretty special to do that. Especially I was talking about this the other day with somebody to go to a tournament and have a bait and a technique that you're like, you know, probably nobody is even attempting to do this nobody this is not even a thought in the back of somebody's mind and yeah some guys have said they know about the bug thing now but i think if they knew enough about it they would have done it you know like it was very yeah. very good uh to be doing that on the river it, you know it's not completely unheard of but to most of the people that aren't like river smallmouth nuts they're like what the heck is this and i knew that was how it was going to be and that's part of the reason we were so excited because you just 
you don't get chances to do that anymore. Everything in fishing is known about. There's no, there's not much uncharted territory left. Right. Super, super special. And now everything's going to being able to use live scope and just video game fish. Yeah. It's, you know, nothing crazy anymore. But it's really cool. I definitely had heard that part of the story, but I've done my due due diligence to not to listen to any of it because I really wanted to hear it from y'all. Um, but it, that's a really, it's just spectacular. Like you said, it's just something different and fresh. So it's makes for a really good story. Um, the, the last question I have for y'all going on this Hobie, you know, talking about the Hobie's events, do you, obviously y'all liked this style of event. Would you like to see like a combination of more of these style events or at least being able to fish this way in more of the events where you can, you know, get out and do a little dragon, a little wading and stuff like that. What, what do you think? Uh, I'll let you and go on this one first. I, I would like to see at least one or two a year where you can do this, you know, some sort of river where we're allowed to get out and drag. Honestly, I wouldn't be against every tournament you can get out and drag. Like that's, it's kayaking. Kayak fishing. Yep. Like, if there's a log in your way, you've got a kayak so you can drag it over. That's the beauty of kayak fishing. And I can understand because there's people that will take that to the extreme and they'll be dragging somewhere that you yeah. probably shouldn't be dragging. Um, I can understand that, that standpoint. But, I mean, like I said, it's a kayak. It's light. It's meant to be drug over things. I like that aspect of it because then you're adding in, Oh, could somebody be getting way back into something or another and catching fish? If you're comfortable doing it and you can catch the fish doing it, I think you should be allowed to drag. But then again, that's up to the organization, but definitely a, a, at least one or two shallow river tournaments a year. Yeah. I feel like they've, they've hit some great, great stops that I think the leaderboard could have changed up if you had to let some of the guys that are familiar with the area do the kayak side of things like you're saying. And and like some of the, like I, I think of Pickwick every time I think about this, that rule Pickwick's got some fantastic areas that I would still be within sight of, you know, of the main body of water. It's not like a lot of people worry about where I'm would be going like 10, 15 miles away, you know, up a creek or something like that. You're still right there, but you're crossing that little man-made barrier to get to the, the, the unpressured fish or the, the fish that you like to catch, you know? Well, what about you, Nolan? What's your thoughts? Same thing? Yeah, I mean, it, that's actually on the YouTube videos that I've posted. That's one of the biggest things people are commenting about is, oh, you are you allowed to fish from outside? Like, yeah, obviously I can. Like I just won the tournament, you know, I wouldn't be, <laughs> this would not be on YouTube if I, you know, like, a, but people are confused because most kayak tournaments, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, for the Susquehanna, it obviously makes perfect sense that they allow portaging and tethering for fishing uh, because it would be kind of impossible to have a tournament there. Otherwise. Um, yeah. It'd be neat. I don't know how many other fisheries are out there that are large enough to support um, a big tournament like that, where you could have, you know, allow those uh, those rules to change like they do at the Susquehanna. Uh, even if they don't allow the um, 
the portaging because like ewing said there's people that are going to abuse that um and oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how you could uh have the regulations to where it would prevent people from you know going overboard um because they're you know there's i don't know there's certain lines that can't be crossed because then it would become like you can only drag 20 yards if it's dry land or something ridiculous like that and you know you just there would be no way to regulate that um, right but i think you should be able to jump out and fish all the time like i yeah. don't see any problem with being able to stand up you know if you're on a flat or something or you're just i don't know if you want to work down a shoreline or if there's current and you you know don't want to fight the current because you know not everybody's fishing out of a hobie that can uh you know a lot of people don't have fins or don't have drives uh so for them you know that would kind of level the playing field a little more uh than having to use a paddle the whole time i don't know it, there's I've always thought it, changes. yeah i've always thought at minimum if like, they wanted to, to do it they could do stepping out as long as your boat's tethered to you yeah you know i think that would be a like there's been plenty of places i've fished where i'm like god i wish i could just take six steps this way you know to change this up or get this different angle or something like that yeah. and, and maybe maybe the in the future you'll start to say because there is a lot more more fuzz and buzz in the air about you know well well that is the kayak fishing part of it now it's just boat fishing from a kayak if you can yep. not use a kayak as a kayak so maybe it changes i mean things are always changing hobie's always doing great things to push the sport forward and um i know after talking with a couple of people that um there's a new guy in charge of the kayak stuff for Bassmaster, so maybe we might be seeing some rule set changes over there so really? uh who's that yeah i don't know i didn't get his name but i got it from a very reliable source that he had a meeting with him and i was like oh fantastic i didn't know it happened so. so real quick i i don't know if y'all are trying to wrap it up right now there's one more subject i wanted to touch on about this tournament let's do it uh, yeah, man. i've been pretty transparent about like how ewing and i share information back and forth and i don't i haven't like directly seen it but i've heard that there's grumblings about people being upset uh about us being able to you know share information back and forth so freely uh and just because it's it's a really big advantage um but you know, it's, it's not, it's obviously not the same as, uh, as having a, you know, getting information from a guide or whatnot. Um, and we obviously haven't broken any rules, but no, it's so being able to share information with other competitors is something, the only level that that is not allowed at right now is the Bass Pro Tour. And they've got a bunch of other funky stuff going on that is, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of weird they, stuff going on there. So yeah, Jeff Sprague, I mean, they're, they're yeah, fishing, you know, they're fishing different days and, yeah, there's there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on there, but at every other level, even the Elite Series, Bassmaster Elite Series, which is the highest level of competition, those guys are always allowed to talk to competitors. The only difference is that in kayaks, we're allowed to call each other, you know, like during the tournament and talk on the phone, which I think since it is a kayak, that's okay because we can't just drive over, you know, make a quick run to go to so-and-so's area. Cause if you watch these elite series fishermen, they'll drive, you know, across the lake to find where their buddy is so they can talk to him midday just because that information and networking is so important. I, mean, I watched Polinick and Seth fighter do it uh, at Pickwick. Seth yeah. was having trouble and he drove over to Polinick and Polinick was like, yeah, right here, throw right here. And yeah. that, that got Seth into the, the third day. You know, I don't, I haven't heard any of the grumblings, but like I said, that I've, I've been keeping out of it because I wanted to hear all this stuff fresh. You know, 
I feel like those people are just being sour. It's the same thing when you go and stay in a house with a bunch of guys for these kayak tournaments. Everybody yeah. talks. You gain information. Like, if if you're upset that you, that they were able to share information and beat you, maybe you need more friends or be nicer to some of these people so they'll they'll get you in on some of this information. Because, I mean, I've stayed in a bunch of houses with a bunch of great anglers, and a lot of times, you know, if you're a cool person, they're a cool person. They're not, you know, maybe they might not give you their area, but they'll definitely be like, yeah, this is what I figured out. Maybe you can capitalize on it where you are. So I yeah, don't know. That's I just think, kind of, I think that's yes. part of tournament fishing and I like it. Uh, yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of advantages, you know, in the fishing world right now that sometimes come down to finances. Uh, that those, those are pretty hard bridges to cross, but the, the information thing, just being, you know, having good relationships with other fishermen, that's, that's a really cool part of it, in my opinion. And also like, I think people probably forget Ewing and I share information this freely at all the tournaments and it does not always work out to where we're both, <laughs> you know, so, and sometimes it can hurt you, you know, sometimes it'll mess with you. You're like, Oh, he's doing better than me because of such and such. What am I doing wrong? And that'll, you know, spin you out. So it's, it's definitely a balance, but um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I hope they never change the rule to where competitors aren't allowed to, to talk with each other because that would take a lot of the fun out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that some of that's what sets kayak fishing apart, you know, is the, camar- the camaraderie of it. It's just different with us. It's so much more, I mean, it's I say relaxed in terms of, you know, we're not fishing for $100,000 a tournament. Our lives don't depend on if we can cash checks at these events. It's so chill. So everybody's still real, real calm with each other and cool for the most part. Everybody's, I mean, for the, again, for the most part, it's friendly, you know, and yeah good sportsman you know for sure Anything have, you run it? have you run into a dude from you follow again no <laughs> no uh, <laughs> uh that's the that's the only bad experience i've ever had on the water really with anybody i can't remember because i fished a lot of college tournaments um and i've fished some Bassmaster opens and i think that's the only only bad experience i've ever had on the water everybody else pretty much if you communicate you know it's everybody's pretty cool uh that's and typically in instances where people have a bad idea of another fisherman you know oh he he likes to cut people off yada yada it's it's when people don't talk when two people are going down the bank and they instead of saying hey man you know i'm going this way or do you mind if i you know whatever it may be if you just talk a little bit is you know very very easy and quick to do you can figure out a whole lot of these you know problems because what happens is so and so says oh, well, that guy cut me off. Well, then the next guy hears it. So when he sees that guy on the water, he's like, oh, he's going to cut me off. And then, you know, maybe stretches the truth a little bit. The guy fishes close to him or something. Oh, he was fishing all on top of me. Whereas really that other guy who's got these rumors started about him probably doesn't even know this stuff's being said. And if somebody at some point had just communicated a little bit, probably realized that like, you know, two people are just fishing a good area. So yeah, people communicate a lot more. We'll, We'll solve most of our problems in fishing. Except for you follow guy. Those just yeah, I don't know about that one, but <laughs> maybe one day. All right. Well, but we'll want, oh, go ahead. That he was communicating. He made it very clear. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well we uh, we appreciate y'all being on. We don't want to hold y'all up for too long. Uh, but we want to give you a chance to shout out any sponsors. Anybody makes fishing easier for you? Ewing, we'll start with you, man. I mean, I'd, I'd like to I'd always thank Dugout Bait and Tackle. They've been great to me, great service on my kayak. They've got, you know, 
I don't I don't think there's any better rigging spot for for kayaks. They know exactly what to do on every single type of electronic motor, whatever. Um, also, I'd like to thank my school, Carson Newman University, because they put me in a kayak for the Susquehanna tournament, and that having a little bit smaller kayak for me was a huge advantage. Uh, also, BioNO Power, it's had great success with their batteries. I've had zero power issues with all my graphs and most tournaments are lie heavily on that. Uh, and Douglas spin and cast, I've been using their rods this whole year. Flawless. I love them. Uh, another thing. So this is something just kind of came about here in the past couple of days. I'm sure everyone's heard uh -oh. about the flooding in Eastern Kentucky yeah uh so my roommate he's from nearby there he's been helping out with with all the flood relief taking waters helping people out so i decided i was going to try to put together a little you know kind of a charity tournament i've talked to revo sunglasses one of my sponsors and they're they're putting up some some product for prizes and douglas spinning cast is also doing the same so i'm going to have some great prizes don't have it put up yet. I'm going to work on that tomorrow in the next couple of days. So it's, I'll po make a post about it, hoping people will join in. Really need those people need help. I've seen some videos, heard some stories, and it's it's really bad up there. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll make sure, it, uh, whenever you do do it, message me, and we'll put it on the panel and fin page for you, too. Yeah. Thanks. We'll share it up, man. Are, are you going to are are you fishing for the shiners this weekend you going to arkansas i don't know if i'm gonna get off the work so mm. big big game for y'all and and for us we're hoping y'all beat arkansas but you know that that'd be good for us yeah uh Let's see. First of all, go check out uh, Uncle Larry Outdoors on YouTube and Instagram. Those are my buddies. They hopefully are going to uh, put some roots down in this uh, fishing social media world. And uh, we're trying to reclaim some of that uh, with real fishermen, real fishermen, maybe taking taking some of this back. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff out there on YouTube right now that's not real fishermen and we don't like that. So please go check those guys out. They, it's a it's a pretty big channel already. It's not like nobody. Uh, they put some really cool stuff out. Um, fishing online, they are a huge help to me. I get like I said, most of my fishing stuff for all these tournaments, all the orders that I'm making, you know, uh, last minute stuff, getting stuff shipped. They are they're great helping me out with that. They do have the bait. Evergreen Gizmo, they're trying to keep them in stock. Uh, I bought most of them before the tournament, and then right after the tournament, I was like, hey, y'all need to order a bunch, and they did, and I was like, how many did you order? And he told me the number. I was like, order more, so he did. And then they got them in stock two days ago, and they were gone in like two hours. So there's more coming uh, for anybody that wants to get their hands on that bait. It's a hard bait to get a hold of right now, but they are really awesome, and for the next, I don't know, probably at least until the end of September, uh, you can definitely get some smallmouth on a bug. I would really be curious to see if there's anybody catching spots. I know you're in uh, North Alabama. I would yeah. like to hear about if there's any spots in rivers that are doing the bug thing. I don't know if they. All right, I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna order one, and I will let you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm, I'm definitely really gonna try curious to see because it's a it's a good way to trick big fish that uh, you wouldn't expect. 
if they're if they're out at fishing online check out a uh, summerland outdoors i know i was in there recently and they were they had a bunch of them so if you can't get them anywhere else um and then yeah please check out my youtube uh it's just my name nolan minor same with my instagram i got a lot of all kinds of crazy fishing stuff on there because i don't just fish for bass but I hope people are all right with me being all over the place. Cause if you just like bass fishing content, maybe one out of every three videos would be for you, but there's a bunch of other stuff on there too. Um, great, great videos too. Like the way you, I, I really enjoyed the way you, not only are you talking to it as you're fishing, but then you also stop it and narrate over it. Explain exactly what you were doing. It's just man, really well done. Great. Yeah. Job. I want to want to help people learn because that's, what's interesting to me about fishing. That's why this tournament win was so cool is because there's just so much to learn. Um, there's a lot that I learned that, you know, I didn't know beforehand. And that's, that's the cool part about fishing to me. I mean, everybody's catching fish, but there's a lot, lot that we can learn from one another. Um, so I hope that I can help people catch some more fish, but yeah, that's, that's about all, uh, Berkeley, Abu Garcia. That's all the stuff that I fish with. If everybody's curious about, if anybody's curious about that, um, good stuff from them. I'm fishing Abu Garcia Veritas, mostly across the board, various Abu Garcia reels. Uh, but yeah, y'all, y'all know they work. Uh, I don't need to explain that to anybody. It's good stuff. There we go. All right. Well, we appreciate y'all being on good luck the rest of the season. I, I can't imagine a better way to win. Enjoy it with your brother and, and your dad and you get a check and get to fish awesome waters. Go watch our YouTube video and, and thank y'all for being on. Yep. Thanks for having us. Y'all have a good one. Thanks, right. guys. Peace. That was really cool. Watch the video. It it, it just looks like so much fun. I really yeah. wish I could fish that one. I I watched uh, some of Christine's and just to see the area. And, <laughs> you know, I've seen Sean's pictures and stuff like that because he lives up there. And I, I should have went to that one. I should have even at least tried to get on the waiting list or something. That's your, that's your jam. And I know people, people got on the waiting list, like 40 spots down. Like, yeah. I, I like that. I feel, I feel like there's actually no reason why I couldn't have got in that one because yeah. of how far it went down the waiting list. Cause I know, I know Sean was way down the waiting list and, uh, cause I talked to him. He said, yeah, no, they haven't called me. And then like a week later, he's like, Oh, hey, no, cool. I'm getting to go. Uh, yeah, next year, if they go next year, I'm going to freaking go. That's I just I've got to do it at least once. That's that's literally my thing. I don't know why I wouldn't go up there. They're in St. Clair. Those two are like the top of my bucket list. I I don't know why I haven't been to either one. I just really want to go to both. St. Clair is on my bucket list, but it's not my style of fishing. Yeah. It can be when they're shallow. Um, I just don't know how much confidence I would have when they're doing the offshore thing. But it's also like you can see them. It's clear water. So I don't know, maybe I'm a pretty confident sight fisherman. So maybe that would change that game up a little bit, but really cool. Those are great, great two guests to have on Ewing's Ewing's killing it for such a young guy. And uh, Nolan, a very, very thorough, you know, a lot of detail, a really, really good guest. Can't wait to have him back on to talk about something else, but uh, we'll get into the tournaments from this past weekend that went on. We've got a couple pages worth, so we'll get into them real quick. Uh, first up, the KBFTN event on Hurricane Creek, 28 anglers. These are three fish limits. First place, Josh Stewart with 44 and three quarters. Uh, my man, Derek Bostick with 42 for second. And Sean Staples in third with 41, which for three fish, it was being a little stingy out there. Um, the 2022 Socks and Cookies turns five midweek shootout 
Uh, it was a fundraiser turn fundraiser tournament, uh, kicking bass for troops. 39 anglers, three fish limit. First place, David Leslie with 61 and a half. That's a good three fish stringer. Second place, Danny Bowen with 58. Third place, Lakeen Lorimer with 56 and three quarter. Next up, the kayak anglers of Western Pennsylvania on the Clarion River. 35 anglers. First place, Greg Hall with 88 and a quarter. Second place, Kevin Rowland with 80 and three quarter. Third place, Jeffrey Rabbit with 77 and a quarter. Uh, moving on to the kayak anglers of Laurel Highlands on the Juanita River. Juanita. Well, no, Juanita. I don't know. We'll go with that. 35 anglers. First place, William Durberall with 83 and three quarters. Second place, Eddie Keeb with 83 and three quarters. Uh, and third place, JJ Dudzik with 80 and three quarters. Uh, next up was the KBF. Oh, the Bass Kayak Fishing Tour Series on Mosquito Creek in Ohio. 54 anglers, five fish limit. First place, Brock Spencer with 93 and a quarter. Second place, Reese Stoughton with 90 and a quarter. We just had him on. Congrats to him again. Uh, third place, Chris English with 89 and three quarters. Uh, moving on from that, the NYKBF guys on the Oak Orchard River, 30 anglers. First place, again, Bailey Eibert with 84 and three quarter. Second place, Dan Robinson with 81 and a half. And third place, Forrest Buchanan with 81 and a quarter. You just can't stop Bailey right now up there. Dude, he's, he's, he's insane. The last event, he won after like no sleep. Did, wasn't even going to fish it. He's just, dude, he's, he's fishing Built different right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, we had one uh, close to home for us here. The 2022 NACA Tournament Trail, the River Stop which is just a moving water tournament anywhere in the North Alabama, uh, shallow, skinny moving stuff. 29 anglers, uh, five fish limit. First place, Jared Atwell with 92 and three quarter. Second place, uh, Chuck Wise with 91. And third Duck. place, my man Jason Moore with 88 and a half. Congrats to those guys. And congrats. Chuck's having a great year. He is terrorizing all of the tournament trails in Alabama. So and KFL too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up, the Oklahoma Kayak Anglers event number seven on Kara Lake, 48 anglers. First place, Christian Medina with 71. Second place, Randy Creason with 70 and a half. And third place, Joshua Massey with 69 and a quarter. Uh, moving on from there, the Indiana Kayak Anglers on the White River, 58 anglers. First place, Austin Killen with 83. Second place, Marcus Grubbs with 82. Third place, Aaron Wilson with 81 and three quarters. Uh, next up was the Moyak event on Lake Norfolk. Uh, 59 anglers. First place, Eli, no, Eli Powers with 86 and a quarter. Second place, Chris Gilbert with 82 and a half. And third place, Tommy Propes with 76 and a quarter. Uh, next up was the Fishing for Families Live Tournament in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, it benefits the Ronald McDonald House charity. 64 anglers, five fish limit. First place, Matthew Rumsey with 95 and three quarters. Big, big bag there. Second place, Doug Sullivan with 94 and a quarter. And third place, Kevin Mock with 87 and three quarter. Next up was the 2022 Kayak Fishing Utah Bass Tour number five on Flaming Gorge. Dutch John. No, yeah, on the Flaming Gorge. Sorry. 32 anglers. Uh, first place, Adam McCluskey with 71 and a half. Second place, Cayman Rasmussen with 63 and a quarter. And third place, Caden Argyle with 61 and three quarter. Uh, next up is the Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing Tour on Boone's Ferry. Uh, 28 anglers, five fish limit first place. Brandon Hua with 75 and three quarters. Second place, Ashton Murdoch with 75 and a quarter. Third place, Daryl Fairbanks with 71 and a quarter. Uh, next up is the SoCal Kayak Anglers on El Capitan. 
57 anglers, first place, Joe Ma with 91 and a quarter, second place, uh, Rachel Urib with 86 and three quarter, third place, Steve Buckner with 85 and three quarter. Uh, next up with that was the California Bass Nation uh, kayak event on Lake Berryessa. It was a dual event with the WWBT, which we will get to in just a second. Uh, 49 anglers, first place, Taz Mua with 84, second place, Damian Tao with 82 and three quarters, and third place, Michael Lavoy with 80 and a quarter. And the event that was coinciding with it uh, that was also there had 38 signed up anglers. First in place were the same, Taz Mua and Damian Tao, and third place, John Myers with 79. So you just can't beat Taz and Damian yeah, in real. Cali right now, man. Those dudes are killing it. Well, that's it, folks. We appreciate you hanging out with us. A little bit longer show than normal, which I love when uh, it's really good stories and we all learn some really cool new stuff about uh, catching fish on bugs. So, bugs. Go that buy some cool. bugs. Yeah, for real. That gizmo. The gizmo. You know, the people, let's see, they caught them on the gizmo. I can't remember who it was that got the little plopper beaver popular um, oh, last that, year. That- yeah, the guy from, uh, I don't remember, the guy that flipped his kayak like three times. Yeah. Yeah. So don't don't laugh when you see these funny baits come out that like Live Target and Evergreen put out, the little ducks and the birds and the bats and stuff. Apparently the shit works, so give it a try. Doesn't just always catch the fishermen sometimes. It usually catches big old chicks in Hobie events. So, yeah. Well, we appreciate everybody, and we will be back next week, same time as always, and have some great new guests. Couldn't tell you who, so we'll see you then. Thanks, y'all. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures. Your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina. The beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and 